Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Real Life. If you are here in the room, it's good to see you. Uh, If you're watching us online, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, Glendora, good morning, Glendora Campus. Uh, You are my favorite campus, and uh, I'm here today. You are there, but I'm glad that we are where we are. Uh, I'm excited for the time we get to spend together this morning. My name's Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life. Uh, And today we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke together. Uh, But I first want to kind of hit rewind for a moment and take us back to uh, the year 1859, the year 1859. And when I told my kids, I was telling a story from 1859, one of them who's not great at math apparently was like, were you alive then? I I was not, but uh, there were people who were. They wrote some stuff down. And in 1859, there was a man by the name of Charles Blondin uh, who made history. Uh, And if you are a uh, tightrope aficionado, you already know this story. If you were like me, I had never heard this one before. Uh, But I was hanging out with a friend of mine. His name's Jeff Bachman. He was telling this story. Like, this is a good story. I I will share it with with our church. You see, Charles Blondin, uh, and again, you you might know this if you are just super into tightrope walking, uh, but that's that's what he did. And he became famous for walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. In fact, uh, he didn't do it just once. Like this kind of became his thing and crowds would gather around from all over. And it wasn't just hundreds of people, it was thousands of people. There's records of one of his crossings. There being over 100,000 people there to gather, to watch, to cheer this guy on. He was so famous at the time that Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, compared himself to Blondin. He said that he, he felt like Blondin walking the line between caring for both the Northern and Southern States. And when you get a shout out from Abraham Lincoln, you're probably doing something that people are paying attention to. And it's, it's because he wasn't just this like acrobat and he wasn't just a, a daredevil. Uh, Blondin was a showman. Uh, you see, and, and there are sketches we have of some of the different things he would do on the tightrope. Uh, he, he was known to strap like an oven to his back and make an omelet in, in the middle of the Niagara Falls walk. Uh, He would take chairs with him and sit on the chairs. He would go blindfolded. He'd walk backwards. Uh, There was one move that he was famous for. He would take a wheelbarrow and go across. You're talking over a a thousand feet and you are hundreds of feet in the air over the rapids of Niagara Falls. And this guy got those crowds going. There's one story of a time when uh, those thousands were gathered around and the showman who was blonde and kind of yelled out to the crowd, who wants to see me cross? They're like, we do, we do, ah, right, the crowds go crazy. And who wants to see me cross blindfolded? And they're like, oh my gosh, blindfolded, this is amazing, this is what we came for, people are so excited. And who wants to see me cross it blindfolded, walking backwards? And again, the people, right, they're, they're going nuts. They're so excited. They're getting like the deluxe show that day. Then he goes, and, and what if I bring my wheelbarrow? Would you want to see that? Now, the wheelbarrow, this is great. We saw the sketch in the paper about this. We get to see it. And then he raised the stakes on this day. And he goes, and who thinks it'd be great if a person was in that wheelbarrow and the crowd loses it? 
This is, we've never heard of this before. I hope nobody falls, this is great. Now, spoiler alert, Blondin never, never did like fall. He, he was good at what he did and, and he was famous for what he did. And the crowd was going nuts. And then Blondin said, and now do I have any volunteers? And nothing, just, just crickets. Those people who were in a fervor, those people who were so excited to see what was happening, those fans who were there, when they had to participate, when they were invited into the action that was happening, it changed everything. It was easy to cheer for Blondin when there was nothing on the line. But moving from being a fan to a participant, it required a different level of trust than the people there were ready to give. And today we're going to explore a passage of scripture together. And it's, it's one that it's, it's easy to be a fan of. It's easy to read the teaching of Jesus that we're going to read today and go, oh, I like that one. Oh, this is good. Yes. And do a blindfold that this is so good. It's a whole different thing than actually step into the story to get into the wheelbarrow, to trust Jesus, even though it might be risky to do so. And there are times when reading a passage like we're going to read today, and especially a long one, that I'll break it up. And you who've been around church for a while know that um, I'll kind of unpack things and say, here's what's going on. Today, we're, we're not going to do that. I want us to read, read all the way through. I want us to hear the parables that Jesus spoke connected to each other, because I think they are. As we explore in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15 today, uh, we're going to be reading what are called the lost parables, the parables of, of lost things. And I want us to consider what it looks like for us to move from being people who cheer for these stories to being people who live them out. I'll tell you a little bit about what that means in a minute, but first let's pray. God, we uh, recognize you are in this place. We ask that we would feel your presence, God, and that through your spirit, uh, you would change our lives today through what we read from your word. God, we ask that you would silence the distractions. God, that you would allow us to focus in, that you would move us from just being fans of you to followers. And now we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. So we are in the Gospel of Luke uh, if you've been around uh, for the last few months here at Real Life, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke together. We find ourselves in chapter 15 today, looking at the parables of Jesus there. If you uh, follow along in like printed out Bibles, or if you're going to scroll through on your phone, I'll assume you're not checking uh, the TikTok and that you're actually uh, following along. Uh, let me read to you uh, Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman 
has 10 silver coins and loses one? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to have his stomach filled with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and Against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the first thing to pay attention to in this teaching and in this kind of trilogy of stories is first the audience. It's, it's important for us to understand who Jesus intended to hear this. And, and you need to understand this, that if, let's say you were Jesus's mom, okay? I know, it's a big shoes to fill, but let's say, let's say you're Jesus's mom. You'd probably be upset at the people he was choosing to hang out with. Uh, if you've raised kids before, right, and you see your kids hanging out with people, you're like, oh, ooh, I don't know, ooh, I'm not sure. That's how the Pharisees felt about who Jesus was spending his time with. The Pharisees were the religious leaders who were concerned with purity in their culture. 
And they saw this teacher who was drawing crowds, who was healing people, surrounding himself with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes. And they wanted to know who this guy thought he was. And Jesus's message is to them. Jesus's message is to the religious among us. Those of us who are concerned about purity and rules. And and this message to us, that was the message to the Pharisees of that day, are to churchy people. And then these stories, they kind of level up as they go. The the stakes become greater. The the first story, the first parable, uh, Jesus talks about what? One out of a hundred sheep that goes missing, right? Which 1% of the sheep goes missing. But his next story, it becomes the six get a little bit higher. It's one out of 10 coins. It's, it's 10%. And then it, in the final parable, the six get even higher. It's one out of two. It's, it's one of two sons. And also these parables build in that the first two end with the same punchline. They end with the same thing. And then the third parable unpacks that and shows us what it looks like. Here's what I mean. Each parable ends with this line. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now I have a pastor friend who who taught on these parables. Uh, and he was he was surprised at the reaction from his congregation and surprised at how upset they were. You see, uh, he, he had told his church uh, that their gatherings, the work they do, the ministry they were part of, it wasn't actually about them. It wasn't about the people in the room. It was for those who aren't yet close to God. And in their anger, uh, there were people who wrote letters. There were people who wrote emails who filled out prayer request cards and used them as comment cards to turn in. Uh, one person went up to that pastor afterwards and they were, they were just so upset that that pastor had told the, the story of the lost sheep and, and left important parts out, this person said. So what, what you didn't explain to the church was that when that shepherd left the 99 to go to the one, he made sure the 99 were safe first. This this person in the church tell, tells the pastor. You didn't explain that he, he must have built a fence for them first. He would not have just left them out in the open to go after the one. He cared for them first and then went to take care of the one. Why did you leave that part out? And friends, I, I don't want you to think that part is left out. So I'm going I'm to read to you again this parable just so we're all tracking. So we, we all hear it well. Verse three says this, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So you got all these sheep. One becomes lost. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus knew 
exactly how he was going to make those religious people feel when he told them this story. Because if you see yourself as one of the 99, the righteous who do not need to repent, then these parables become decentering for you. If we are just cheerleaders for Jesus and we are not actively participating in the work that he is calling us to, we can actually then become like the older son, indignant that God would, would give up everything for the one who has been lost. It takes a certain level of trust to follow the teachings of Jesus because of how often he prioritizes those who are not yet followers of him. His teachings tell us that we need to be willing to give up all of our own desires for the sake of others. It is easy to be a fan of Jesus. It takes risk to be his follower. We can stand and cheer him on and ask for him to be blindfolded and use wheelbarrows. But it is harder to then get in that wheelbarrow with him because it's risky. And I, I think I have uh, an idea of why it is hard to, to go after the things that Jesus calls us to. And I, I think it can be illustrated through uh, a story that I read. It's, uh, it's from a book. The book's a few decades old. Uh, so young people, you might not have heard of this one. There's a book uh, that came out in uh, 1974 uh, called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And there's this uh, word picture that is used in the book that I think uh, illustrates something that I want us to wrestle with today. You see, it, it tells of a village in South India that was experiencing what they consider to be a monkey problem. Uh, monkeys from the nearby jungles had kind of uh, overpopulated and come into the village. Uh, they had started stealing all of the villagers' fruit. And in that village, that was the primary industry. That was the thing that everyone's livelihood was built around was the selling of fruit. And the monkeys were eating it all. So they had to figure out how do we solve this monkey problem? And so they tried just chasing the monkeys back into the jungle and that didn't work. They considered hunting the monkeys, uh, but that, that was not working either. And then one man had an idea. And so he decided to start carving out some coconuts and cutting a hole in those coconuts just large enough for a monkey's hand to fit in. And then into those coconuts, he put something that they wanted. Nuts, rice, small piece of fruit. And then he took those coconuts and he chained them to nearby trees along the road. And wouldn't you know it, about a day later, all that man had to do was drive down the road and pick the monkeys up as he went. And, and here's why. When those monkeys saw the coconuts, and I have a coconut with me, uh, and I, I put a little something into, into the box here uh, that I like a lot, uh, mostly because Batman is just the best superhero. And you can be wrong about that, but that, that is just, that is true. Uh, so, right, these monkeys would put their hands into the hole, and when they would grab that thing they wanted and then try to pull out, their, hand, their hands would not fit back out. Now, those monkeys had an easy choice to make. They could have just sat that thing down, but they held on to it. They would not let it go. And because of that, they became imprisoned to that thing that they would not let go of. All you got to do is let go of the thing. Your hand comes back out of the trap and, and you can experience freedom again. But how often do we 
hold on to things so tightly that it keeps us from the freedom that God is calling us into? How often do we hold on to things that keep us from pursuing the work of rescuing the lost that God is calling us to? And I, and I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what the thing is that you're more prone to hold on to tightly. It could be your career. It could be the pursuit of, of making more money than your parents did. And that is the thing you are chasing after and you are sacrificing so much to hold on to that. So much so that it's hard to prioritize the things that God is calling you to because, gosh, if you just work that one more hour, you could make more. Maybe it's the success of your kids that you've prioritized over everything else. And as you look at your calendar and you look at your bank account, it tells you what you worship and you're worshiping that potential for future success of your children. And because of that, because of that full calendar, because of the investments you're making, it becomes harder to prioritize the things that God might be calling you to, the things that God might be calling your kids to, because we are holding on so tightly to that thing that is then imprisoning us. And, and I don't know what your thing is. What I do know is this, that God has a better plan for us than for us just to hold on to our own desires. God doesn't ask us to do things that actually would make our lives worse. God wants you to live a blessed life. What that means is doing the things he asks us to do, to prioritize our lives around caring for others, releasing our desires and going after the desires of God. Now, you need to know uh, that this is a thing that if you're part of our church, like we're going to talk about a lot. And here's why your church is shaped around this parable, this chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We have prioritized this as a key piece of scripture that influences everything we do. Uh, your church uh, leadership has a set of core behaviors. Uh, it's a document that we actually have posted online. It's not a secret. You can go in and check it out. It's probably good for you to, to check it out if you've been around the church for a while and you go, gosh, these pastors, like what, what are they motivated by? We, we have it spelled out. And the very first core behavior we call after the one. Well, let me just read to you what we mean by that. And this is, this is what we prioritize over all else. It's this, apprentices of Jesus follow after the one who's always chasing after lost ones. We are here to lead lost people to Jesus. That is the primary mission of the church. This stands in contrast with churches that exist to serve already Christian insiders who are looking for churches to make them comfortable with the familiar. As a church, we are not motivated by money. The vision of the church is not for sale. We're not motivated by providing programs for people who are already Jesus followers to keep their calendars full and busy and to keep them comfortable. That is not what we're interested in. We are not motivated by the idea of self-preservation. Instead, we risk so that lost people might know how great God's love is for them. We send teams to countries that others are afraid to visit to build churches for people that one more person might know Jesus. We prioritize children and youth at our church, knowing full well they will not write checks to fund the amount of ministry investments we make into their lives. 
We will continue to chase lost things because we follow a Jesus who tells us there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And this year we are asking all of you to step into the mission of the church. You are invited to let go of that thing that you have been holding on to so that you might bless the lives of others. A few weeks ago, we introduced you to our blessing cards. And if you've not yet grabbed one on your way out today, we would encourage you to do it. If you're watching us online at home, if you're listening to the podcast later, grab a piece of paper, draw eight lines. It's this easy. We are choosing, each one of us, to use our lives to bless the lives of eight other people this year to pray for them, to invest in them, to invite them into this thing that we get to be a part of in the movement that is following Jesus. And this last week, I met someone who was already invited to church because they were on someone's blessing card. They loved what what you helped them experience. They'd never felt that welcomed into a church before. They had never felt that cared for. It was a privilege to them that someone would have written their name down to say, I wanna bless this person. And that person grabbed two cards, one for themselves, one for their spouse, because now they want to bless others. That was compelling for them. And think of how our community could change if we all did that. Think of how the world around us might be shaped differently. If we stopped just cheering Jesus on and instead we joined him in the mission that he is a part of, of rescuing and caring for lost people. Can you imagine the math on if each of us blessed the lives of eight people, and and even some of them did the same. Your neighborhood, your community could be changed in Jesus' name by the simple act of letting go of our own desires and priorities and caring for others. We follow after a God who chases lost things. He chased you. He chased me. And he found us. Now we get to step into what he's a part of and do the same. So I'd ask you, are you ready? Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you'd send us from this place to be blessings to others. God, that you would place on our hearts right now the thing we need to let go of, that we could follow you more fully. God, help our lives not make sense to the world around us because we've prioritized the things of you. And God, as we go out and we bless others, would you be with us? Would we feel your presence? Would you draw us near to you? Help us celebrate in the way you celebrate. We love you and pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your day. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.